But memento mori is this kind of thing you want to remember all the time. And the benefits of remembering that you die, I think, are something that, that you take into how you choose to construct your life long term. So it's not just this way to navigate stress in the moment or, you know, trivialize stress in the moment. It, it is this way to really set up well, what kind of life do I want to live? How do I want to structure things? Welcome to Stoic Conversations. In this podcast, Michael Tremblay and I discuss the theory and practice of Stoicism. Each week, we'll share two conversations, one between the two of us, and another will be an in-depth conversation with an expert. In this episode, Michael and I discuss memento mori, remembering the fact that you will die in order to live. We talk about the Stoic view of death, why the Stoics argued that one should keep death in mind, why doing so is a way to pursue knowledge, overcome adversity, and exemplify human freedom. We then move to discussing what this looks like practically, the number of different ways one can meditate or reflect on human mortality. Finally, we end by summarizing the key practical benefits and risks of memento mori. Here is our conversation. Welcome to Stoic Conversations. My name is Caleb Monteveros. And I'm Michael Trombley. And today we're going to be talking about the Stoic practice of memento mori. We're going to be talking about how the Stoics approach death, what the Stoic view of death is, and then especially focus on why the Stoics are always talking about death, why they have so many practices that orient around the fact that we are mortal beings. Yeah, so nice light conversation for those listening. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's right. A good good light conversation. Uh normal fare you can turn on for any activity. <laughs> You're cleaning the house. This is a good one. This is a good one for you. That's right. Uh yeah, on, on the note of cleaning, uh there's a the famous line from Genesis, of course, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. But we should cite some of the Stoics too. The Stoics are always talking about death. If you were to rank Stoic topics, it's very likely in the top 10, at least for the Roman Stoics. When we have for the Roman Stoics, it's one of the key features of philosophizing is learning how to die. That's something that Stoics adopt from Plato. And I have a handful of passages from Seneca and Musonius Rufus and Marcus Aurelius here that I want to read. So here's a sentence from Seneca's letter 26 from Moral Letters. You do not know where death awaits you, so be ready for it everywhere. And then we also have from letter four, most men ebb and flow in wretchedness between the fear of death and the hardships of life. They are unwilling to live and yet they do not know how to die. So we have this idea of preparation, this idea of philosophy as learning how to die. And then from Musonius Rufus, one of his lectures, surely the life of a good man is the best life and death is also its end. Therefore, as I have said, if one should learn in one's old age to accept death fearlessly and boldly, one would have taken an important step towards living without regret and according to virtue. And then finally, one of my favorite lines from Marcus Aurelius, Meditations 417, don't act as though you're going to live for 10,000 years. Fate is hanging over your head while you live, while you can be a good man. So those are a few passages from the Stoic writings, and they bring to light some of the key features that the Stoics highlight about death. These ideas of preparation, learning to die, uh, accepting the fact that we are mortal beings, and using that uh, as a reminder to live better while we can. So that's, that's where I wanted to begin this conversation was with those 
passages, those examples of how the Stoics do, in fact, talk about death. Yeah, and there's a couple of things I want to pull out here about the way the Stoics think about death, because there's there's ways that you can relate to death. I think I think at its simplest, they're obsessed with it because Stoicism is about living in accordance with nature. It's one of the main tenets of Stoicism. Death is a part of your nature, but often a part of the nature your our nature as you know mortal beings that most people are very uncomfortable with or oblivious to. So it's something that every human shares. One of the few things that you know every human has in common. But of 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 anything in life, one of the things we're most uncomfortable with. So that's why that emphasis. But then I also want to, I guess, pull apart these different flavors just for those listening to keep in mind. There's a lot of different ways we can talk about death. So we can talk about, you know, handling the death of somebody else well, which is, you know, are you are you grieving appropriately or inappropriately? Were you prepared for that instance or not? Are you acting inappropriately because you're not prepared when it comes up and you're afraid and you're fearful in that moment instead of, you know, brave and, and conscientious in your relationships? There's the death of somebody else. There's your own death, the eventuality of your own death, the shortness of your life, the fact that your life is uh, set to end, as comes out in Marcus Aurelius's quote, you know, while you can be good. Uh, and then there's also the actual moment of death. And I guess I want to pull that apart because I think in these conversations, we can get focused on the anxiety around death, but the Stoics were also focused on death itself as, as a discrete moment, as a discrete event and kind of an ultimate challenge or, you know, a kind of a cherry on top of a good life if you're able to confront that event appropriately, the same way maybe Socrates would have, you know, with bravery or the way Seneca uh, you know, tried to by committing suicide and showing bravery in that moment. So there's the death of others. There's your, your own inevitable death and what that means for what you should do in the day to day. And then there's the actual moment and how do we do that well? So they thought about it along all the all of mm -hmm. these lines. Yeah, that's a, some great divisions we have. Our the fact that we die, the fact that others around us die, and then how do you die well? You know, how does that moment of death, how does that fit into the story of a life? So in this conversation, we'll chat about memento mori. That's our starting point. The practice of memento mori and how that shapes how you relate to your own death, how you think about dying well. Of course, we'll touch on others as the fact that others die as well, but that would be the primary focus. But to do that well, I think we need some background and how the Stoics thought about death to begin with. Uh, and then, one, then once we have that, we'll cover why the Stoics think it's important to have a memento mori practice and then cover some ways you can practice memento mori in detail, and then finally end with some final notes on benefits or risks with particular memento mori practices. Anything else you want to say by way of structuring the conversation? No, exciting. Let's jump into it. I think it's a fun, I think it's a fun practice that really jumps out but has some depth to it. Yeah, absolutely. So memento mori fundamentally is just about simply bringing to mind the fact that you are mortal. Memento mori is Latin for remember that you die or remember that you must die. And now the question is, you know, what's the Stoic view of death? The Stoics, they're not thinking about an afterlife. They're generally thinking about death as the point at which, you know, life ceases to exist and there's nothing next. And crucially for the Stoics, death is an indifference. It's not something that is intrinsically bad. It's not something that is intrinsically good. Instead, it's something that in some situations is going to be a good and in others, it will be uh, a bad. And what do I mean by that? It means by bad and good, I especially mean it's something that would be chosen. Uh, I'm not talking about sort of evaluating states of affairs, but sometimes, you know, we, most of the time we ought to make decisions that preserve our life. 
But you know, as we talk about in the euthanasia conversation a while back, sometimes it's appropriate to make decisions to end your own life. And in that sense, death is an indifferent. It's not intrinsically something to be avoided, but is something that the virtuous person has to contend with and select or avoid at the right moments. And that's something that I think the common view of death doesn't acknowledge. I think if we were to sum up the, at least in the West, we have the idea of death. We all know it happens, but there's a sense that it's not going to happen today. It's going to happen sometime in the future. And the death is usually separated, I think, from our normal life. It's not something we think about unless we are forced to, unless it's forced upon us by a circumstance. Instead, it's separated into particular ceremonies or treated as a, a heavy topic one doesn't broach upon lightly. And of course, there are some good reasons for this. But an upshot is that memento mori is not something that many people practice, and you can sort of understand the Stoics as pushing against this. And I think especially today, there's this reminder, this urge to keep in mind that we are mortal and that that does have serious import for how we ought to live now. Yeah, to build on that, I think those were all great points, Caleb. Uh, we talked about this in the euthanasia episode. I, I do think the Stoics are a bit more... I wouldn't say they're pro-death, but they certainly remind us that death is on the table and remind death as an option. For most people, you know, death would be something that you would attempt to avoid in all situations except the very, very most extreme. And maybe it was just the case that Stoics in ancient Rome and Greece encountered more extreme situations than we did, encountered situations of slavery, of war, of, you know, uh, people attacking your family or, or attacking you in a way that we don't have to. But Epictetus is pretty explicit. He, he says this, that the door is always open. And what he means by that is that there's never, we are never as humans forced to do something we don't want to do because we can always choose to die. So nobody could ever force us to do something terrible. So these kind of arguments of, oh, he, he or she forced me to do this yeah, I didn't have a choice in the matter. You know, these, these, there's no kind of choice that you can be forced to do because you can always just choose to stop living, you can choose to kill yourself, and maybe that's just because it was a lot more intense back then. You know, much more different situation. But Epictetus is actively reminding people that this option's on the table, actively putting death there as an option, not as a figure of speech, but as a legitimate option to avoid. It. If you feel you're stuck between death and doing something terrible, you know, mm -hmm. choose death. Another thing I just want to say is, is memento mori is this kind of exercise, but it was something that I think was a lot more natural part of society back then. Even if it wasn't, it's certainly not a natural part of society today. We think about, you know, I think about how we consume animals, for example. You know, we don't even kill the animals we eat for 99% of cases. We don't, we don't see things die let alone humans, you know, family members often, we, we only experience death in, in, in these kinds of cases of immediate family members and, and they're either were around it or were not, but it's not something that, that we encounter in a normal society. So I guess in, in, in Western culture today, it's possible to, you know, a memento mori, it's possible to not remember that death even exists for prolonged periods of time. So that's really what the exercise, I think, is is trying to counteract. It's trying to push back against this tendency, both in ourselves, to block out the existence of death because it, you know, it's scary, stressful, anxiety-inducing, but then also a cultural situation where we've confronted, we've constructed a culture, or at least many people live in a culture where we don't have to con confront that notion. So we have to kind of do it ourselves to make make sure we stay healthy about it. Absolutely. Yeah. So we'll jump into how, in fact, you practice this, what the details of that looks like. But before doing that, I think we should be clear about, you know, why do the Stoics do this? And the first is just the obvious point 
that the Stoics think we ought to pursue knowledge and we are mortal creatures and there's no sense in denying that. And as you said, Michael, there are these sort of natural psychological forces, natural cultural forces, and then of course also biological forces that push us often against considering the fact of our death and certainly against the idea that sometimes it's appropriate to die and would push us instead towards this idea that death is always an evil and that life is something we always ought to preserve whenever we can. But for the Stoics, you know, they are often, you know, nearly always going to be in favor of preserving life, but that we need to admit, face the fact that we are mortal creatures and life, you know, we will not be forever. Hence, you know, part of embracing reality just is coming to terms with that fact. And I think that's why, you know, you have the phrase from Montaigne to philosophize is to, um, and I also want to read a quote from Plato that Marcus Aurelius cites in Meditations 735. When a person is high-minded and contemplates all time and existence, do you think he can place much importance on human life? Impossible, he said. So he won't find death terrifying either, will he? Not at all. This is from Plato's Republic. So the thought is that you know death is something that cannot be avoided. It's something that is out of our control. And as such, there is no reason, no justifying reason to fear the fact that we die, but rather there's a benefit to facing that fact. The, the sage is going to look down on all things, see how nature is connected, how the parts compose the whole, and see the role that death plays in that larger system. It also reminds me of the passage from Marcus Aurelius where he's talking about you know, the cracks in a loaf, the flickers of foam on a boar's mouth, where if you look at them in isolation, they may not be beautiful, but if you zoom out, you can see how everything fits together. And even these small things will apparently be and appear excellent. Yeah, so what you've called the the knowledge argument here is this idea that the goal of philosophy is to understand the world as it is, and someone who understands the world as it is will not be afraid of death because that person, you know, as Plato says, will will understand all substance or all of reality, the universe will understand, you know, a human's mortal place within that and the way you love, you know, the cracks on the loaf and accept the the you know the nature of things you you apply that same consideration and acceptance to yourself so to 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 have knowledge of those things is to also understand death and accept death something like that does that sound right yeah i think that's right there's this i mean I, the starting point is just that we we you know we are mortal creatures and that's something we should embrace something that's not up to us it's a part of our nature and then there's this additional additional points about how that fits into the whole and i think both of these features taking the fact that we are mortal creatures how that determines our life in isolation but also our lives in the larger context of things helps uh, may help things fit together you know we often say in when you take the view from above, what's trivial falls away and what's important remains. And the trying to get, you know, that extra minute or extra hour, extra month of life, whatever it is, I think when viewed from the right perspective becomes one of those trivial things often. What remains are important things, you know, being a virtuous person and typically being in order to be a virtuous person you're going to be acting in the world, but 
the fact that you die, that there are serious risks in many worthwhile activities is not something to be feared, not something to flinch away from. Yeah, I like that idea of, you know, maybe don't go skydiving without a parachute as a teenager, but this idea of fighting for every extra minute, month, year, as if that's the ultimate goal of the life of a life is to like prolong that as much as possible. You know, you're at the risk of being, I don't know, uh, cowardly, for example, in these kind of political situations the Stoics found themselves in. You're, you're missing what's important in that moment if you're putting prolonging your existence above everything else. And we can think of this too in context of like, I think of this in the political example of just, you know, tyrants, regimes, things like this, where you think, well, what's important here? Is it, is it really just squeaking out of this situation to make sure I can live as long as possible? Or is there something else more important here? I find that quite inspiring. Yeah, I think so. I think there's this there's this idea that, you know, if you're the sage, sometimes that means you are going to seek to, you know, fight preserve your life at all costs because that's what's required to, you know, protect your family or be a good citizen. But in other situations, you will risk your life to stand up against absurd injustice. Yeah. And I suppose the it's an exceptionally complex question, especially in many circumstances and you know which situation you are in, but the target, the thing you're shooting for is the kind of person who can think about that coolly without having this instant reaction against anything that would cause that would be too risky cool so what's the what is the next argument for why we should memento mori yeah so some of these arguments might blur together but the next argument i think of as the overcoming argument and just to get this started here's a quote from musonius rufus being fearless undaunted and bold these are the products of courage and how else could these become someone's qualities more effectively than if he would become firmly convinced that death and pain are not evils. So I think here we have this idea that what's holding us back from being virtuous so often is fear, fear that particular bad things will happen, and especially fear that death or pain will occur. And the thought is from Musonius Rufus that if you attack that belief that death and pain are evils, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're attacking this obstacle to being virtuous at its root. And once you drop that belief, you're getting rid of one of the fundamental obstacles to being virtuous. And I think that's probably easier to see in the pain case where, you know, why didn't you stand up for that? person and some meeting or whatever because you are afraid of being shamed by the group you're afraid of experiencing that emotional pain and then but if you think about that emotional pain and compare it with many other bad things that could happen it's it would be surprising to think of someone who thinks oh emotional pain that is exceptionally terrible but death that is nothing to me <laughs> what you would, you know, what would come to mind would be a person who held the prospect of death, had that stoic view of death as not something that is ultimately evil, is better able to face down things like emotional pain, physical pain, because you know, in a real sense, death is one of the worst things that could happen to a person. You're deprived of anything else good, anything else preferable that could happen in a life. And if you're able to face that possibility well, that gives you the ammo, the confidence to overcome the one of the most common obstacles to being virtuous. Yeah, the Stoics had what they called, so you already mentioned before that 
death is an indifferent. But the Stoics had preferred indifference and dispreferred indifference, which means that indifference are things that are not good or bad. You you choose them based on the situation. But if something is preferred indifferent, like health or money, all things being equal, you're going to tend to choose it. You're going to you're going to want to you're going to kind of need stronger arguments to not choose good health and friends than something that's a dispreferred indifferent. That's something like physical pain, something like death, and then you can place these along the spectrum, right? And I would say probably death is is the most extreme dispreferred indifferent. It's the thing that is going to require the most arguments to select. But there's still times when you'll choose it, but it's the one that's going to need the most compelling arguments to choose. And But there will be times when it's the right thing to do. Now, this, so the idea is that if you can accept that and you can see death as a dispreferred indifferent, this is what I always understand your point, Caleb, then you, then you move up that chain, you go to pain, you go to kind of a rude coworker, you go to mild inconvenience, you go, you know, something that smells bad, you know, you, you being embarrassed in public, you, 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 once you can accept death and everything up that spectrum of dispreferred indifference just seems less bad, right? And you, if you can, if you get over that hump, you can get over the rest of those, no problem. Yep. Yep. I think it, it brings to mind a quote from Steve Jobs, I think, and where he said something to the effect of remembering that you're going to die is the best way to avoid the trap of thinking you have something to lose. You are already naked. You are already mortal. Hmm. And I love that phrasing. It's also, I think, a reminder that knowledge that you're going to die is not, not sufficient. You, st- you still need that positive vision of what a virtuous life looks like. But it, but it attacks the fear, the fear that right. stops you from pursuing that positive vision. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. Cool. Anything else on that argument? No, that makes sense to me. Awesome. All right. The last argument I want to mention here is what I call the freedom argument. You already touched on it. You get this. I spoiled it. Yeah, you spoiled it. You had a spoiler. But the (laughs) Epictetus is the person who states this most clearly. Seneca also has a number of lines about it. But uh, here, let me read from the discourses. Don't believe your situation is generally bad. No one can make you do that. Is there smoke in the house? If it's not suffocating, I will stay indoors. If it proves too much, I'll leave. Always remember the door is open. And this is Epictetus's open door policy, as you mentioned, this thought that death is always an option. And the fact that you don't choose death, I think often means you are freely agreeing to whatever happens that's outside of your control. Perhaps this is better explained with another anecdote from Epictetus where one we've mentioned before, the anecdote of the chamber pot, where he discusses someone who uh, is asked to hold the chamber pot for their master and it's uh, a very demeaning task and they ask, you know, what, what should they do? And the Epictetus's principal lines of advice here is to choose a path. You can be the person who holds the chamber pot to, you know, goes through with the demeaning exercise of it. And perhaps you have good reasons to do so. You don't want to bring any beatings on yourself or beatings on those you love by rejecting the demands of your master. Alternatively, you could be the person who rejects the task because it is demeaning because you don't have those other obligations, but rather that obligation to yourself to avoid particular demeaning activities. But what you do not want to do is be the person who holds the chamber pot and grouses. Instead, you've you know, you've freely chosen to do, take an action, hold the chamber pot, and by doing so, you've accepted the consequences of that action, everything else that is outside of your control. And so the porting this over into the context of death, 
the idea is as we, whenever we choose to continue living, to continue existing, you know, we are agreeing to all of those aspects of reality that are outside of our control and in a sense, you know, willing those things. You have related ideas and acceptance, commitment, therapy. And I think there's, there's a real solace in that. And of course, there's the reminder that you have the freedom to avoid those situations. You know, the door is always open. And this is a more uh, advanced stoic thought, certainly, but a, v- a very powerful one. Yeah, that's got to be one of my favorite passages in all of Stoicism. I love that passage. And the, I mean, the, the, the door being open is an extreme example, but it, it follows from the chamber pot, right? It's like nobody can make you do anything. You're always choosing the path and, and kind of accepting the consequences of that path. But that's coming from your choice because you always have this other door, this other opportunity. As you said, advanced practice. I don't think that's going to help me at work tomorrow. You know, <laughs> the knowledge that I have this other door is not really, it's not really going to help me in my day to day. But the, the thing that you see demonstrated by advanced practitioner, and I, you know, we were talking, we just filmed an episode on the lives of the Stoics. And we talked about Seneca's suicide. And I don't know enough about Roman politics to know if Seneca could have survived by groveling, you know, back to Nero or appeasing him or doing something, but Seneca didn't, right? He, he took the door. Same thing with Socrates when he was in prison and, you know, he was offered the opportunity to escape and, you know, he, he, he took the door instead. And the, these stories demonstrate examples of those things occurring, right? It's not just something in abstract. It's something that the, the Stoics and the, those that inspired the Stoics were doing. Yeah, that's a, a great point, Michael. It's, it's not it's not just uh, an abstract reminder. Sometimes the Stoics, you know, did choose to act on it either by committing suicide or, more often, embracing wherever they were at to the best of their ability because they they knew they did not not take the door. Yeah, I love that passage as well. It's a, a very powerful thought. So the question, you know, the question then is, okay, so how do I practice this more often? What does a mento mori actually look like as a practice? And I think it's a sort of thing, this, it can be done in a number of different ways. Many people keep simple reminders of their mortality around, whether that's in a physical symbol or quotes from the Stoics. And then of course, there's, you can remind yourself of this fact by revisiting the writings from the ancient Stoics as we just did. There are also some explicit meditations one can perform that fit well into Stoic practice. There's this idea of visualizing your funeral, the people who are there, people who you would who you admire and bringing to mind what you would like them to say about you and i think that has the dual purpose of reminding you of your mortality you will have a funeral and then also bringing to mind some people who are important to you some people who you admire and what you wish they would say about you and that i think should provide some amount of fuel for you know, jumping back to that Marcus Aurelius quote, while you can be good. And that's a, I think that can be a very powerful meditation, the sort of thing that's worth doing, not every day, but throughout the year. Likewise, you can meditate on the span of your life, think about what has happened so far, think about the ways your life can unfold and really bring to mind the fact that the timeline of your life is limited and you only have so many more years. That's the kind of thing we don't talk about until people become older, until it becomes clear that, yes, my timeline is coming to, to an end. And explicitly doing, thinking through 
your life, I think, in, in that way uh, can be useful. Yeah, well, I was trying to was trying to look up now where the, the phrase itself comes from because, you know, we're referring to this practice, but I was trying to see if memento mori itself was actually said by any of the Stoics or something that was used in the future to describe, you know, these lessons that they were giving. But I was also struck by how memento mori, it's like, you know, it's, it's an intentionally an alliteration, right? Like it's meant to be a little a little token of a phrase it's not this long description. It's this, it's this really quick thing that's meant to be repeated to yourself. And I think those three, ex I made a division at the start of the conversation between, you know, the fact of the death of others, the fact of your death, and then preparing for the moment of death. And I think some of these exercises, the three that you talked about, graph on, so, some of those, you know, there's like, there's the, there's the fact that death exists. That's that kind of just remembering this. The funeral meditation you described, you're contemplating your your death in particular, I think can can help you think about how you know you want to die. And then the lifespan meditation maybe is helpful for maybe motivating you in the moment, bringing in the, the, the temporariness of your life into mm -hmm. full picture so that it can motivate you to act differently. Right, right. Yeah, and also bringing into mind the fact that the people who surround you, their stories are also temporary yeah, affairs and thinking about how, how they fit, how those fit in into your life. So I think each of these, it's not, so I suppose memento mori, it's not a specific exercise, but rather a goal of these meditative exercise, these contemplative exercises to remember the fact that you are mortal. And these are just three ways to do it. It's not the only way to do it. You have reminding yourself via maxims, quotes, physical reminders, the funeral meditation, and then lifespan meditations. There's, there's also, I think, one of the most famous Roman cases of memento mori is the Roman general who returns after a victorious campaign to a triumph, a huge parade, uh, celebrating his accomplishments. Uh, traditionally, the, this person would have a slave behind them whispering into their ear, remember, you will die. You know, this yeah. is not going to last forever, even at that peak moment. So, you know, I think unlike Western culture, perhaps, certainly in Roman culture, this idea of death was much more central to, to people in Stoicism and outside. Yeah, I like that story because... You, you, we think of Stoicism, a, an important part of Stoicism is this idea of the passions, which are not normal emotions, but these kind of extreme emotions that deviate from false judgments. So you can have this situation. So it's like, what is that slave doing that's whispering to you? Well, you might have a general, the, the general might have a kind of pride for what they've done. Well, I did a good job. Well, I've helped some people. There's these kind of true judgments, and then there's these more exaggerated judgments. Well, I'm the best there ever was. I'm unstoppable. I'm immortal. I could defeat anybody. And so, this I, I see that slave as that that well, the person whispering to them, you know, as this kind of aid who's helping them not slip into those those passionate judgments or those extreme judgments. You know, you're still in the parade. You're still indulging in what went well, but you're not allowing you're not allowing that to go too far. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're not letting that passion, that feeling overleap reason. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. So those are the practices. That's the reason or those that's some of the reasons why the Stoics thought memento mori was so important. I think now we should summarize the, some of the benefits of the practice that maybe we haven't touched on before and then also discuss possible risks. So... In terms of the benefits, each of these arguments seem to me like good ones, what I call the knowledge argument, the overcoming argument, and then the freedom argument. All of those seem like good reasons to keep one's death in mind because doing so enables us to overcome obstacles to being virtuous. It reminds us of our free nature and then is, of course, a piece of knowledge, a knowledge that 
shouldn't merely be verbal. You know, of course, at some level, we all know we will die, but is that knowledge really embodied rather than a verbal thing we say when we're asked the question? Yeah, if you had to take a true or false test, most people would say, true, I will die. But that's that's different than embodying that in your actions. Right, right. Yep, yep, per- definitely. So each of those arguments strikes me as good ones and good enough, certainly good enough to think about how to practice memento mori in your life, whether you're stoic or not. I think, you know, we've had the stoic framing around the conversation, but that's really not necessary for, for most of this. Yeah, cool. That makes sense to me. Cool. Do you want to add anything else by way of pros? Otherwise we can discuss, jump into the risks. I mean, I think those are good arguments. I agree that we don't emphasize death enough. We don't confront it enough in Western culture. I think that I think that this is also something that becomes more important as as you get older, I guess as you live more. So I think that a lot of stoic exercises are easy to construe as things that we use in moments of crisis. So, okay, I'm very stressed today. Well, I should remember that I will remember that I'll die. So it doesn't matter anyway, or remember that that's not an evil or it's, it's outside of my control. So I shouldn't worry. But memento mori is this kind of thing you want to remember all the time. And the benefits of remembering that you die, I think, are something that, that you take into how you choose to construct your life long term. So it's not just this way to navigate stress in the moment or, you know, trivialize stress in the moment. It, it is this way to really set up well, what kind of life do I want to live? How do I want to structure things? So you think of a midlife crisis, that's when somebody hits 30, 40, 50, and that they've kind of lost memento mori or they, they haven't done memento mori. And now they have to restructure because they've kind of spent the, their life building building towards something without a recognition that, you know, this is the one shot you get, this is temporary, or, you know, this is all there is. And then those things come at, those thoughts kind of come to them all at once. And there requires this extreme restructuring. So it's something that I think is helpful to keep, you know, to keep that hygiene up, keep that, keep that muscle up, to keep that momentum more all the time. And it will pay dividends, not just in the moment, but, but over, you know, decades, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think especially these Thinking about the, this lifespan type meditation, funeral meditation, what do you want people to say about you at your funeral? Who do you want yeah, totally. to be? And then how does, what does that actually look like in a life? That's the sort of thing that one cannot start working on too early. That, you know, all this said, I think with many of these practices, there are risks, there are ways they can go awry. And I think it's important to it's important to touch on those. One of the things I wanted to say here is that I think in some uh, is an advanced practice, especially this freedom argument from Epictetus, the open door policy. I think one needs to be really clear about what the Stoic views on uh, death is, what the Stoic view about suicide is, and role ethics before one takes that on too seriously as a frame. Otherwise, there's the risk that one makes the wrong choice. Yes, the door is always open. That does not mean it should be taken in the majority of moments. That is, it's an entirely different question whether it should be taken or not. So for that reason, I would label practices around thinking about that as an advanced matter. You know, we have this other discussion on euthanasia where we go into detail on the this the questions of euthanasia and suicide. So I think that if you're hadn't listened to that episode and want to know more about the stoic theory there, that's somewhere I would go to next. Another possible risk with these practices is they can become too negative or you know you might have the thought why not fail i'll die anyway one way to think about death is it gives us urgency it gives us gratitude for 
the good that we do have. But another approach is to respond to the fact of our mortality with the thought that nothing really matters because we're going to die anyway. And you can you know, have that be a nihilistic attitude or a negative one. And that's not what the Stoics are about. The Stoics are always about finding this perspective where you use things like memento mori, the view from above, to make salient what does matter not to erode, you know, the possibility of value or the possibility of a good life, of course. Yeah. And it can also, just to build on this, it can also, memento mori can be discouraging to non-Stoics or people being confronted with Stoicism who think, wow, this sucks. You know, like this is just, I can't have, I can't feel anything and I have to think about how I'm going to die all the time. Like this, this, this is, I mean, I think the negative and nihilistic comes from a something that practitioners can do to misinterpret it. But I think it can also, outside people can misinterpret memento mori, not view it the way you just said about focusing on the good parts, focusing on what matters and having that be more salient. But they see it as kind of this hyper-obsession with the negative, with the nihilism mm-hmm. or negativity, and then bounce off stoicism because of that. They say, that's not the, that's not the philosophy for me. If I'm just going to, I'm not allowed to cry and I have to think about how I'm going to die. You know, <laughs> another possible, another risk, I think, is this risk of rumination, where a one negative thought pattern is you have the same negative possibility, you know, spinning in your mind, and you just return to it again and again. You can't get that thought out of your head. I think that's pretty common for people suffering from some form of anxiety. You know, what if things go this way? You just keep on thinking, thinking, thinking about it. Or alternatively, forms of depression are like this. You just keep on ruminating on negative aspects of the world. And with some stoic practices, you need to always be careful that you're not falling into that trap. And if you think you are, then any of these memento mori practices might not be the best fit at the moment. And I think this may be especially clear when you think about the possibility, not just of your own death, but the death of others, where the fact that the, you know, the ones we love will die is in a deep sense, very tragic. And that, you know, focusing on that can lead to a kind of rumination that is unhealthy. And so perhaps another principle to keep in mind is this idea of exposure therapy when people practice diffusing some harmful phobia, often they'll expose themselves to small versions of that phobia and deal with what is manageable first before scaling up. And hence, you know, if you think about facing the prospect of your death or the death of your loved ones, already you're jumping to a pretty high level. So if you notice that maybe you're ruminating, the exercise is not helpful, start by approaching some of the other stoic practices that are more manageable or thinking about something like premeditatio malorum with bads that are not as severe. And I think that's a, a, often a, a useful step one can take and something to keep in mind. Yeah, I think there's also a risk if you, if you move to a state that is too advanced, there's the risk of being nihilistic or negative. There's the risk of ruminating. But then there's also the risk of kind of trivializing and not actually confronting the idea of death. So... You know, there's a way where you can kind of desensitize you, yourself to the exercise. So you're thinking, yeah, memento mori, yeah, we're all going to die. But you're not really allowing that to, you're not really, I guess, understanding the implications of that claim, reflecting upon those deeply, accepting how they might be emotionally unsettling, you know, because we're not sages or, you know, it's totally fine if it's like really scary or really sad as you're progressing, as you confront these ideas. And if you jump, if you kind of jump a stage ahead, 
you know, yeah, I'm a stoic. Yeah, I'm a mental mori. It's like, well, you're not actually really doing the exercise because you've gone at such a high level that you can't actually do it properly. You gotta, you have to expose yourself slowly, but expose yourself genuinely. And I think you provided a good example of how to do that. Maybe meditatio malorum, but make sure you're make sure you're actually feeling the kind of emotional implications of these exercises, or or behavioral changes from these exercises. Otherwise, you're just kind of like Epictetus' students, we run the risk of showing off without internalizing. Yeah, that's a great point. It's it's not you can't merely be after the verbal knowledge. Exactly, Ver- verbalizing is easy. Thinking about this thing from an abstract level is relatively manageable. Perhaps a good place to start, but you have to flesh out and think about these concrete situations. Think about concrete situations that can arise. Think about you know what is the fact that you're life is in fact limited mean for you specifically and your circumstances. Otherwise, you know, you can, you certainly can find yourself in a situation where you think, Oh, I've practiced memento Mori for Mm -hmm. years. And then you get a terminal diagnosis and you think, Oh shit, I am going to (laughs) die. And to some extent, those sorts of situations are, you know, that's unavoidable. It's a hard thing to hear, I think for, for most people. But the fact that people do get into that kind of situation is evidence that it often, you know, we desensitize is a good, good way to put it. We desensitize our self to the fact that we're going to die instead of knowing yes. that it's something that's going to occur. Yeah, totally. Awesome. All right. Well, that's, that's our conversation on Memento Mori. Yeah, you got, you got, for those listening, a good hour to reflect on that and hopefully, hopefully... Yeah, some insight into where this fits into your practice, the Stoic justifications behind it. Maybe you've been confronting it differently. Maybe it's changed your view. But hopefully that was that was helpful and a little bit of a deep dive into into that single exercise and practice. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, thanks for that conversation. Uh, until next time. Awesome. Thanks for listening to Stoic Conversations. Please give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and share it with a friend. And if you'd like to get two meditations from me on Stoic theory and practice a week, just two short emails on whatever I've been thinking about, as well as some of the best resources we found for practicing Stoicism, check out stoaletcher.com. It's completely free. You can sign up for it and then unsubscribe at any time as you wish. If you want to dive deeper still, search Stoa in the App Store or Play Store for a complete app with routines, meditations, and lessons designed to help people become more stoic. And I'd also like to thank Michael Levy for graciously letting us use his music. You can find more of his work at ancientliar.com. And finally, please get in touch with us. Send a message to stoa at stoameditation.com if you ever have any feedback, questions, or recommendations. Until next time.